Hello, hello. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this is the Big Fat Snare Drum Podcast. Today is a fun one, because I have the big fat man himself, Chris Mazarisi, and I explain what this episode is at the beginning of our conversation, so I won't do it here. Just felt weird not saying hello, hello. So uh, enjoy the show. All right, so I am here with Chris Mazarisi, owner, founder of Big Fat Snare Drum. Thanks for hanging Hi. out, man. Hi. Thanks. <laughs> I'm in front of you and behind you. Yeah, I know. That's for the people uh, only listening, I'm not going to embellish what he means by that. So uh, I have no idea the format of the show and how it's going to go. So we're just pivoting left and right, and I love it, having fun. So today we're doing like a new segment. We're calling it the Big Fat Five, but vo- both of us are not. <laughs> we have more than five, so we're already uh, breaking the rules. But basically, me and Chris are both going to give a few specific sections of songs that formed us in the drummers we are today. They're not necessarily songs that we identify with today as something we'll listen to, but just sections of songs that we've grown up that I can tell that I use in my playing all the time, and I'm assuming that's um, how you're using it as well. So... Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. My first one is A Ticket to Ride by a little band called The Beatles from the album Help. And this album actually, I think, has like a very underrated drum tone. A lot of Beatles stuff, you think of like towels and, you know, a little more out there stuff. But Help was still one of their earlier records, and it was just the drums wide open. And it's one of my favorite snare sounds. And so in the song Ticket to Ride, there's this snare hit. It's at the end of this hook where it goes, she's got a ticket to ride, she's got a ticket to ride. And then right at that point, Ringo does this little fill. And usually it's like these little fast fills. But on the very last one, at 2.39, there's this pause and he, he just does this one flam rim shot. And it just cuts through the mix. And it's something that I use all the time, which is space and then just one hit. Let me play it for you right now, and I think you'll see what I mean on why it's so impactful in the song. You sure this wasn't Paul playing this part? (laughs) I think Ringo was still playing all the drums on this part. I think the White Album is like four or five songs that are Paul. All right, let me... uh, And I I don't know if it's a Black Beauty or not, but it just has... I mean, it's obviously a Ludwig. Uh, It's probably his festival wood snare, but it's just... My gosh, that flam crack is just... It's a transition. Yeah, I was... Growing up, I would always like wait for that part of the song and I would just air drum it and it was the coolest thing in the world. So yeah, Ticket to Ride by the Beatles. Um, I use those rim shots all the time. Your turn. Oh, it's my turn. I go. So uh, growing up playing drums, um, one of my favorite drummers was Gilson Lavis. He played for the UK band Squeeze. Okay. Um, Gilson, I I feel like he's one of these guys that's just an underrated drummer. Just, I mean, really influential, just really tasty rock parts that fit the song. So this song's called Up the Junction, and I just love the beginning. I never thought it would happen with me and the girl from 
So that fill just meant a lot growing up as a kid, just thinking thinking back. I think that was one of the first fills that I had a like really break down and learn and yeah. And, it, and there was no technology back then to slow it down. Sure. So I just, I think I must have listened to that on cassette probably a thousand times to try to figure it out and try to get it to sound even and and clean. I mean it's it's a it's a really powerful fill and it's just it's so simple. That's yeah. I mean that's that that's a quick little foot thing in there. That's like I mean it's not the the Bonham triplet but that's for a you know for a novice player to get that I, nice and clean. I was probably like 7, 6 or 7 trying to play that and just <laughs> you couldn't even reach the bass drum at that point. <laughs> no. When I get not. to you, I'm going to be fast on you, I swear to god. <laughs> All right, so that's my that's my first pick, squeeze up the junction. All right, uh my second one is by a band called America from the album Heart and uh, or Hearts, sorry. And it's uh, Sister Golden Hair. So it's the drummer Willie Leacox. And th so this album was actually produced by George Martin, which is, you know, the fifth member of the Beatles. He was the producer sure. and all the Beatles stuff. So this is, uh, this happens at 44 seconds into the song. And it happens again later going into another verse. But it's basically the fill going into the second half of the verse. And to me, it's like the OG Smells Like Teen Spirit fill. Um, not because it sounds the same, but just there's this, this guitar part that you're like, okay, the drums aren't in yet, and when they do, I know it's going to be a statement, and it's basically that. I mean, again, same with Ticket to Ride. It was something that I would air drum the second it would come on, and it's a pretty iconic fill. So let me, uh, let me cue it up. But I do agree there's times when a woman sure can be a friend of mine. Those toms, come on. I know. Well, that's, I mean, it sounds like they have some freaking OG big fat snare drums on them. But, uh, yeah, that's... I'm actually a time, I'm a time traveler. <laughs> you, yeah, you're making a lot of money on the back end of that song. Um, to sum that up, that song, similarly to, like I said, Dave Grohl and Smells Like Teen Spirit, was the first time I heard a fill, and it sounds like a rhythmic and melodic hook. You know, that that is just as much of a part of the melody of the song as the chorus. Um, that's the drum part that where the uh, you can argue the drummer deserves some publishing on that song. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's the vibe of that. Yeah, totally. Willie Lee, Willie Leacox uh, from America. Yeah, the album Hearts and Sister Golden Hair. Love it. All right, my, uh, my number two, the drummer. Uh, so I don't really know how long he was in the band for, but his name is Clive Bunker and he played drums for Jethro Tull. Okay, I'm not familiar so, with him. I think or I them. You know, <laughs> shows how much. You, know, you know Jethro Tull for sure. So this song is Aqualung. I guess it's probably their most famous radio hit. Okay. But his the outro of this song is just such a powerful outro. It just it, it like vamps up and then winds down and then vamps up and then winds down and then finally just like it explodes and it, it just does this really cool in and out and it just the song's like six and a half minutes long. Okay. I feel like it's just a powerful way to just end a song and sure. hearing this and I was like oh this is. I mean, nobody does stuff like this anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe like Dream Theater or something, but you know, I think <laughs> yeah. it's uh, I, yeah, I think it's really powerful. And hopefully, this one works. I don't think this song had an ad on it, so let's see. So 
much noodling, but so Dude, good. That's so self-indulgent. I love it. No, it's cool because it has like eighth notes, and then it has, you know, the triplets. Um, yeah, it kind of shows how you can dance around a rhythm. Dance around, and then, and then it's like it goes powerful. Then he sucks it out and it does like that halftime. And then yeah. it's just really busy, but then it's you got the guitar coming back in, and it's that iconic that riff, and yeah. it's going in. and Yeah, it's just... It's such a weird blend of so many things going on. And once again, that was another song and band that I was probably 10 years old trying to figure out how to play that and butchering it. Probably still can't play that, but... Oh, I, I probably still can't either, yeah. Wild. All right, you're up. All right, so this one, this is again where we're breaking the rules. So this is actually two bands, two separate bands, two separate drummers, but Tom DeLong is associated with both of them, so I still consider it the same vibe, because he helped produce those songs. So it's a, band, a song called Mutt by Blink-182 off Enema of the State, and then also a song called Start the Machine by Angels and Airwaves off, um, I believe, We Don't Need to Whisper. So basically, it's a hi-hat that you open up on the uh of one right before the backbeat, so t-t-t-t-s-pap! And it's, it was huge for me in my playing because I definitely play with a molar technique, which is, you know, a push-pull, like, checka, 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 like, accent the downbeat or the eighth note, whatever you're playing. And so this technique forces you to get out of that rhythm where a checka, cha And so it forces you to kind of have, to move your wrist in a certain way. So with Mutt, it's Travis Barker playing on that song. He does it with just the hi-hat. Uh, and so we'll play it right now. So that was Mutt by Blink-182, and then the uh, the second song is Start the Machine, which does the same hi-hat thing, and it's Adam Willard playing on this song. But He's great, Adam. He's, uh, he's I mean, that record sound-wise, the first two Angels and Airways records, but in, in this song, he does it still, the uh, before the backbeat, but he does it with a bass drum, so he adds a little more emphasis on it. So I'm actually going to play that for you guys as well. Is he, uh, he was playing with The Offspring for a while too, right? Is he still with The Offspring? He's with Against Me now as his main, his main me, okay. gig. Yeah. Okay. Boom, boom, stat. And that's something that I use all the time in my playing with Eve Six a lot because a lot of those songs are mid-tempo and it's more, it's more selfish, I 100% agree, or admit that it's not something that adds to the song at this point. It's just something that I'm super aware that is in my playing and I know that those songs specifically are the reason that they're there. So, you know what's cool about those kind of, those kind of like, they're not even fills I would call them, they're just kind of... Flourishes? Yeah, which is cool because I feel like that kind of music... Um, tends to like it tends to almost need like a lot of fills, but then it kind of gets too busy and lost. So something like little tiny, mm -hmm. like nuanced stuff like that really makes a big difference. 
hundred percent. Yeah, and it and doesn't that, clutter. There's not a lot of clutter. Yeah, and that's why I think there is a I hate to use this word, but like a pandemic of drummers in my generation that definitely took the Travis Barker style of playing and ran with it. Mm. And that's a and I include myself in that category of people that now that I'm a more mature player and getting more professional gigs, I know that that kind of playing only works with that kind of band. And so that's an instinct that I run away from. And so there's a lot of things I could show with Blink that have morphed into my playing that I try to walk away from. But this one specifically is something that I keep. I just I mean, I enjoy that it's part of my uh, Rolodex of things to pull from. Um, awesome. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Your turn, sir. Okay, mine might be kind of a generic drummer pull of favorite drummers, but um, next song is The Police Don't Stand So Close to Me. And, I mean, I just fell in love with his... I mean, it's funny you just talking about the hi-hat stuff, because, I mean, he's all about the hi-hat. Oh, yeah, Stuart, yeah. It's just, it's just uh, like, his finesse and the ghost notes and just the little, the little nuance again, like the little nuances of, like, opening the hi-hat just a tiny bit or opening it up a lot or just a rim click nuance. It's just, it's the little stuff that you really can, you know, nerd out on the intricacies of his playing. And 100%. he's the kind of drummer. I think he's one of the first drummers that I like remember putting headphones on and listening and like kind of like studying what was going on more than any drummer just because, because of those little like gems hidden in his playing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the cool thing about Stewart that I that I love, and and I think Sting always hated about him is that he plays <laughs> more of like feeling the song than the construct constructs of just a metronome feel. Mm -hmm. So I think live he would play really fast, and then he would speed up the choruses and slow down the verses. And when he got excited, he would speed up. When the the the, the song needed a slower part, he would slow down. Yeah. So I think that I took that away from his playing and. I mean, you know what? I would actually be interested to take the song and put it to uh, like Beat Detective and see. I bet you, even though they edited the tape like crazy back then, I'm sure it probably still jumps. I mean, he can fluctuate in tempo, but his singles are so, He's so right clean. down the middle. They're so clean. Like, he is insane. God, that guy's so good. The best. All right, let me yeah. see where it's queued up in the song. This might be an ad. Hold on. <laughs> I kind of want to keep these in just to... My dad used to come home drunk every day and hit me. <laughs> my mom had passed away from giving birth to me and my dad hated me for it. <laughs> By the time I was 16, I ran away from home. I'm skipping that ad. Another crazy thing about that song and his playing in general is just it's just the unexpected hit that comes out of nowhere. You're like, wait, that's not where if you're air drumming that song, you're like, that rim click doesn't go there. But it, it does go there. It's incredible. Like that little do do da ta pa. 
that little well, thing. No, the room clicks in the beginning when he's just doing the the hi hat. Yeah, he just comes in on the weirdest the weirdest thing where he comes in on it. He does the reggae feel and then he goes into like kind of a punk rockish, you know, chorus or pre-chorus there, you know. Yeah, he's 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 definitely someone who makes you rethink how you would move to a song because there's definitely the way that like I don't think any police song it starts off and you're kind of bobbing your head in a certain way at some point you're going to be like I should stop bobbing my head this way you know if that makes sense hey y'all I wanted to <laughs> I can't say I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell with 10 lugs chrome over brass triple flange hoops a trick uh, three position strainer 42 strand wires it's lovely it's loud and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake and, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour. And I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um, all right, so my, I think this is number four for me. Um, it's the pre-choruses in the song Evil by Interpol. And uh, the reason why I do this, well, let me just, I'll play it for you guys, and then I'll explain why the hell I like it so much. All right, so the reason why I like... There's actually... Yes, I'll, I'll talk about something else in that song in particular, but the band I play in, Eve Six, John Siebels, hates when a... <laughs> like, when you go back into a verse from a chorus, he hates when you hit a crash cymbal. He's like, that part of the song's done, so just go back into the smaller part. And so I basically rip off that song, depending on which song we're doing and how heavy the song is, that instead of hitting a crash cymbal going back into a smaller part, I'll hit the downbeat uh, with an open hi-hat, and then I'll stop it so I can control it. Because in that song, yeah, he alternates between going from like a 16th note of an open hi-hat to an, a full beat that stops when the downbeat begins, or sorry, when the, when the backbeat begins for the next note. Yeah, just alternating back and forth really 
something I do all the time with my hi-hat. I kind of use that as a choked symbol all the time. I love it. That's really, I, I do something similar to that, too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And before we move on to the first or the next one for you, in that song in particular, he also, when he's not playing and when he introduces his drum beat back, because that song he kind of comes in and out, he doesn't play the hi-hat right away. He does the downbeat of the bass drum and then doesn't start the hi-hat until the backbeat. So it'll be like, um, one, two, ready, go, boom. You know, it's just, I don't know why I like it so much, but it's made me think outside the box. Like if you're playing something and then you want to go back to the hi-hat, regardless of the thing I was talking about before, it's okay if you want to just like do a fill, start the beat, and then just bring the hi-hat in at some point during that next measure. It doesn't have to be you know, crash symbol, then back to the hi-hat right away. Sometimes just let that crash, breathe, and then even come in on beat three or four. It's just a cool way to think of how to transition. I think that's, uh, I think so far a common theme of, of everything we've spoken about is, is just letting stuff breathe. Yeah, and hi-hat stuff. <laughs> and hi-hat, hi-hat breathing. Well, it, yeah. it's funny that I remember I had like a weird um, like epiphany watching a drummer in a live setting, maybe like 10 years ago. And it was actually two drummers. I don't even remember the specific show, but it was like kind of a local-ish band show. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the first drummer and then it was like, it was house gear and it's the same microphone, same PA. And you just see two different drummers on the same kit. And it really goes to the, I think like a lot of the drummers balances from the hi-hat. Mm-hmm. So a guy who's like mashing it versus a guy who plays that hi-hat with finesse. Like mm-hmm. I think for me, I learned something from that experience where I think it's like a finesse hi-hat and I just beat the piss out of the kick drum. I think like more kick drum, finesse hi-hat, and just like crack snare. That's the jam. The first assessment of a good groove for me is how loose their bass drum is. If their bass drum is just really locked in, they can kind of play around with the hands, you know? But if that totally. low end's just there... Um, yeah. You need to fill out your gut and everything else is just kind of ancillary. 100%. Yeah, filler stuff, yeah. yeah. Good word. I got that. Um, all right, your turn. Okay, so my next pick uh, and band and drummer. So Bobby Shear, I don't know if you know who he is. He, mm. he played drums for Bad Religion for a really long time. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite drummers, he actually, I'm, I'm reading his bio just to refresh on it, but he did have a shoulder injury that uh, was the end of his drum career, unfortunately. Oh, man. But my pick would be uh, his drum playing on Stranger Than Fiction. Okay. Which is like Bad Religion's big Atlantic Records major label um, album that they put out. And I think it's one of the like most amazing records top to bottom. But the cool thing about Bobby is that he's playing punk rock vibe on a punk rock record. But he actually has like real parts that you can attach yourself to. That's great. That they're almost like pop sensibility parts. I mean, he has like the pop. He has like punk fills and like the punk feel. But it's like the pop sensibility Mm-hmm. Of like listening to the drums and it's a real part more than just like noodling and playing a thousand miles an hour. Not that there's yes. anything wrong with that, but that's that's not what this record is about. And um, yeah, I'm gonna play it. I love the song. Yeah.
See, just he's got like a part. I mean, he just kind of sticks to it. It's not like four bars fill, four bars fill. It's like he's playing that punk rock beat for a pretty extended period of time with a little bit of a little bit of like nuance fill in there, just something a little bit of a transition, but nothing like yeah. It's da 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 da, you know. I just I fell in love with this playing. It's like really simple, super powerful, and just it drives the song. One of my favorite it. bands of all times. All right, so this is my last uh, grouping, uh, and again, it's I'm cheating because it's actually two two separate songs, but I'll just talk one mainly. It's Adrian Young um, oh, from nice. the from the band, no doubt, and it's a it's more of a a decision he makes. It's not so much an actual part. So the the one I'm going to show is from Hella Good from the album Rocksteady, which is an amazing record. So I'm just gonna play it, and then I will explain why it's so impactful. Yeah, it's insane. All right, so the reason why I like that so much, and I'm going to try and explain this well enough, is he does it on this song, and he also does it on Underneath It All, which is on that record as well. Um, Two drastically different songs, but he... It's in the second verse, and it's right after uh, Gwen Stefani sings the first phrase of the second verse that he adds this fill. He never does it again, and most of the songs are just groove-based, but for some reason, he does it at that one spot in both songs, and it he goes back down from the chorus, but he's also acknowledging that the song is still building up. So again, in that song, he's just doing like the Billie Jean beat, and then he does this fill that becomes a hook. And I don't know, it just, and I, so I've, I do that live, I've done that on so many recordings where just literally after the first phrase in the second verse, I'll do something that I don't do for the rest of the song. But yeah, it's a, it's. I look forward to that so much, especially in in underneath it all. It's this really high tuned reggae ping snare. Um, yeah, I won't over explain it, but that's that's it. Is underneath it all? Is that the one where it has like um like the bridge part is kind of like a rapping part? Yep. So I grew up in New York, and we had the station there. I don't know what it's called now, but it was ninety five five WPLJ, and their whole thing was like they wouldn't play, play rap music. Like, they just refused to play rap music okay. whenever that song was out, whatever, whatever, like the mid-2000s, early 2000s. Would they mute and they, it? They would play that song, but they would have, like, a different... It would just be a musical bridge part. They took the rap part out. It was so weird. What was their reasoning? They just didn't play rap. They, like, stuck to their guns. I guess they... Yeah. It's like, remember when Walmart... I'm sure they still do it, where, like, all the records you bought from Walmart had all the cussing silenced? There was, like, the Walmart version. Walmart version, yeah. I remember with Blink, there was that song called, um, I think it's called Happy Holidays, You Bastard, where it's just Tom, or sorry, Mark singing about oh, yeah. <laughs> really bad stuff. And it's Christmas Eve, right? Yeah, 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 that song. Yeah. And this, so the Walmart version that my mom got me for Christmas, it was like an instrumental song. It's, there's no, they just, they just go, you know what? And then it's like one, I can't believe it's, there's one phrase at the end that I don't remember what it is, but it's, it's just Mark basically saying like, Ta-da! And then the song ends, but it's 45 seconds of just Travis going ape shit. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. Amazing. But, all right. Is that uh, your, that's your last pick? You're done? 
That's my last pick. I mean, I can try and think of some while you're uh, while you're thinking of your last ones. Well, I'm trying to think. I guess I'm going to stay on the punk rock theme here. Yeah. And this is uh, my 2000s drum crush, Cyrus Baluki. Okay, yeah. He's still your drum crush. He's still my drum crush. He, yeah. Um, this is, I guess, this is from their Sticks and Stones record, which I think was their, like, their biggest record, crazy enough. They had like a, a pretty... Yeah, that crazy, had like, like my friends over run. you, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, they kind of went like mainstream for a hot minute there. Yeah, uh, which I was happy for. I wasn't like the, you know, the kid who was just like they're selling out. I was like they they should be, you know, should be playing to a lot of kids. I get it, they're good. But yeah, he he's just he was just yeah. a drummer for me, and his parts were just uh, just so tasty and just fit the song. But he he's an interesting player because everything that I've said so far. I kind of like the simplicity of all these songs in a weird way, but mm-hmm. he was just such a busy drummer, mm. but just busy in like the most elegant way. Like he yeah. just knew how to be busy. No, because you could equate what he did to what Travis did, but he did it in a, he was like the working man's punk rock drummer. Yep. That makes sense. Like his stuff was busy, but it was like, oh, I know what he's doing. He's not like bringing in some weird, you know, like where'd that come from? It's like, no, it's rhythmically. It just makes sense. Yeah. His, the cool thing about him, too, is his fills always seemed attainable, but then when you sat down to play them, they weren't. Like, he would do always do a weird thing. Like, I guess naturally from coming out of a fill, you're going to, like, hit the cymbal with your, like, right hand. Yeah. But he would do these, like, he would do these fills where, like, you would hit, like, a left hand. Like, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm, I'm terrible at counting and, like, the music theory stuff, but I, I just remember, like... Sh- trying to learn his fills and like my natural instinct would be like like it would just be these weird like up hits on the cymbals and i was like wow that's pretty hard to play specifically and i do want to hear your song but uh uh in the in the song my friends over you the beat is boo 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 tat boo 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 tat boo 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 tat boo you the cymbals and i remember that my goal was to be able to play those three in a row ba 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 tat really cleanly because i couldn't do it i would always like cramp up i'd be like or he does your hi-hat thing too that you like in there too the second like the second verse he does a that he does like a hi-hat suck thing yeah 100 percent. and i know exactly yep totally god i need to listen to that record again it's so good i I played in a 2000s cover band like a couple years ago for like a hot minute and that was one of the songs we played and like the singer would always put that song towards the end of the set i'm just like (laughs) i'm I'm dying i remember one time we played it uh there's like a there's like a crappy club that i uh that we play out on, on long island and uh place was like totally packed and i remember i just like ended the song like super early at the i just like had a brain fart and just cut the song off like i don't know maybe like three quarters of the way i was probably just subconsciously like exhausted and my foot was gonna fall off so i'm like forget this we're done yeah, I did that pretty recently at an Eve Six show. I, I the song Amphetamines. There's like yeah. after the last chorus is these big hits, and then I just decided to stop the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens right. to the worst of us. <laughs> Newfound glory, <laughs> understatement. <laughs> That song, the boom tat, boop a tat, boom tat, and then that hi hat, ticket da ping, that little da da da. That's a common thing with him. That's like a common theme. He does like that hi hat vamp before he hits a cymbal. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, 
so I I don't have any more specific ones, but I will tell a little funny story. Um, so as you guys, you know, I'm sure you all know, I'm not the original drummer for Eve Six. Uh, I was. They're on my list, by the way, too. Sorry. Oh, really? Perfect. All right. Well, then let's let's. This will be my story. Then you can you know move into that. We did a uh, anniversary tour of the first record, the the Fly record, uh, about a year and a half ago, and you know we have our set that we we play, and we probably play probably half of the first record live. But there was six songs that I had to learn. A lot of those songs, while learning them. There's things that I play today that I didn't realize are from listening to Tony. So the guy I, you know, for lack of a better phrase, replaced um, is a dude that was a huge influence on me playing. And I don't remember it, but learning certain parts of these songs, I was like, oh my God, I do this all the time. And I can't remember any other record that that Phil is from. So it must just be from this song that now I'm learning. So that wasn't meant to be an ego thing. It was just like a real, a weird you know, mind trip of like, holy gosh, this is this is great because Tony is such a great player. It, it's funny because I uh, same kind of thing, that exactly what you said, and I definitely had a lot of his like vibe and and fills and and feel. I would definitely rip off mm-hmm. playing in my pop punk band in the two thousands, and when we actually played shows with Eve Six, Tony gave me like the nicest compliment of just, I, I love your playing, like your your fills and your feel are so cool, and I'm just like. It's you. I'm ripping you off. What are you talking yeah. about? It's like, yeah. You love yourself, Tony. Um, yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to play it. So this is yeah, uh, please Promise. Do. Mm. And uh, I don't. I, once again, going back to me not knowing any kind of music theory and being a complete idiot, I think what I love about this song, and this might not be the right word, but it's the like the syncopation of the hi-hat and then the like the feel of the kick pattern. And then it's almost like, the cool thing about this song for me is it almost seems like it's a runaway train, but he just he's able to like reel it back in every time. It's one of those songs that you like you probably think it's faster than it really is. So on that tour that I was just talking about, you came on you came on because we, we we played the first album and then we also played a few you know songs because this the song Promise is not on the first record, but I remember I was sick as a dog that night, and uh, you came on. It was at the Chance Theater in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, and the Chance Theater is one of the worst venues in the world. And you actually came on stage and you you played Promise and you killed it. And you actually did a few things that now I do live that I wasn't <laughs> well, doing. Tony's, that's Tony's live version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, but the sync up, like, yeah, it's it just, this was a, a weird song for me when I was playing drums to it in my parents' house when this record came out. It's just, yeah, it's, it's that, like, pullback control that it's really hard to attain because you're... Like you want to go faster, mm-hmm. you want you feel like it's supposed to speed up, but he just pulls it back in every time. Yep. And it's that hi hat almost feels like it's gonna take take off and run away, and the kick lays back, and yeah, it's just got some cool parts. Hopefully this doesn't go to an ad and, and is queued up to where I want it to be queued up, but probably not. So like right there, you feel like it's just gonna take off and go like a thousand miles an hour, but somehow the excitement's there, but he's able to like pull it back in, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's I, I should do that during sound check one time, just the dat boom, deca deca boom, dat da 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 la, not just like go like double time, because that's that's kind of if I were to hear that song for the first time, I would assume. 
Well, if Cyrus Baluki was playing that song, he would have gone double time. He would have gone double time. Or <laughs> half time. I can't sing that song because it says the F word. Oh, it does. Oh, my we're gosh. A, Max. We're, we're a, censored, a censored podcast. Yeah. Um, funny thing about this video, too, and, I, and actually I forget about it every time I watch it, is I, I dated a girl in the 2000s that was in this video. Really? Standing behind Tony, yeah. Which is pretty funny. And yeah. that has John and blue hair, right? Yeah, John has blue hair. And I remember him telling me the story. When I became friends with the guys, I remember him telling us a story about this video. Because I told him that I'm like, I dated a girl in that video. And then he told me that it was like the most insane day because he dyed his hair. And it was like a thousand degrees. And he just kept like sweating blue all over wardrobe. And wardrobe oh, sure. was ready to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about him with blue hair, it just makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to speed through the rest of this. So I have three more and they're all pretty quick. Uh, okay, yeah. So the next one is from, uh, I guess, an early 2000s hardcore band called Earth Crisis. Okay. Uh, they were a militant, vegan, straight edge band. Uh, <laughs> that right there should be the band name. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the drummer, this guy, Dennis Merrick, uh, like same kind of thing with um, going back to what I was saying with the Bad Religion thing. He's like a hardcore drummer but wrote like really interesting parts and it wasn't a lot of noodling. It was like, I'm going to make this part as heavy as possible. And that's it. Like just, it's just all about the beef. Mm -hmm. And, and he did, he does something too that I've, that I've ripped off my entire like drumming career since I've heard earth crisis where he does like, he does like a double cymbal hit all the time. So it'd be like, boom, ba boom, boom, ba 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 boom, ba boom. Boom, ba, boom, boom. Like, he always does stuff like that. Sure. He'll always double hit cymbals. It's not just one cymbal hit. It's dun, dun, always yeah. like that. And, yeah, that's just something I've... Somehow I've made it translate into, like, you know, pop music or, like, indie rock music or whatever band I was playing in. I kind of just ripped off that double cymbal hit. Let me see if he does it in this song. So this is a song called Firestorm. Uh, it's, like, it's early in their career. This is probably early. I wonder if it tells you what year it was from. Show more. Firestorm UP. I don't know when it was from. It's it's early 2000s, maybe okay. even late 90s. Okay. So. So you get what I'm saying. It's just sure. a really... For me, I remember hearing that, and that was like one of the first things I picked up on his playing. It was just that powerful boom, boom, tap, tap, down, tap, boom, boom. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a statement for sure. It's a statement. And yeah. It, it, you know what? I'm sure he knows he's doing it, but it's across the board on like all the Earth Crisis stuff. That that one like piece of his playing, and I and I fell in love with that. Were they screaming violence begets violence? Was that the uh, hook? I think it's violence against violence. Oh, okay. Let the, let the roundup begin. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're a band that's really interesting because they were always like on the cusp of becoming like like an Ozfest band or like Warp Tour, you know, like the Warp Tour like metal section band. Um, but they're just so, I mean, you got to give them credit. They're so ingrained in their vegan straight edge lifestyle that I think it was a big turnoff for a lot of people because their lyrics are about being vegan and animal rights and, you know, the straight edge movement. So I think that kind of Neat, like made them too much of a, of a niche band, you know. Unfortunately, they'd probably be more popular today. Yeah, I mean, they're one of those like hidden gem bands. Like, you know, they, it's crazy because they get back together every like 
couple of years and when they get back together they'll sell out like a 2000 person like VFW hall in like upstate New York and it, and it just looks theater. like yeah exactly <laughs> they could sell the chance out for sure they're from yeah. they're from Syracuse New York Earth Crisis they're they were part of the early like Victory Records mm-hmm. um, you know uh, like the beginnings of that company where it was all those kind of like Snapcase and Earth Crisis and Bloodlit and Integrity yeah, uh, Strife and yeah, uh, hate, I think Hatebreed might have been on Victory at one point too. Was, so it was this whole was Thursday. Thursday was on. Uh, yeah, I think they were on Victory. Okay, we'll do a I fact check so. at the end. Yeah, we'll have Monica from the Dak Shepherd podcast. So I guess so. What else is there? So I did. Oh, so I have two more. Uh, this one is, of course, Dave Grohl, who mm. has been a huge influence of mine since Nirvana first came out, and. Uh, the song is from In Utero, Scentless Apprentice. And I think like why I fell in love with this song and his playing was just the raw like energy and power. Mm-hmm. Like you can hear through iPhone headphones or just playing your iPhone just out in the open. Like just how much attack and how much like anger he's putting towards his drums. It's just you, like you could you could picture him playing it and like the snare drums about to fall off the stand. Yeah. Like that's the vibe, and I went through a period. I can't do it anymore because I've just gotten too old and my hands hurt. But I've got. I went through a period <laughs> of just like trying to play drums as loud and as hard as possible. Yeah. And I always felt like there was. I always feel like there was a ceiling of how loud drums can go, but I feel like Dave Grohl was the guy, especially like on this record, and when they when they played these songs live, like he was the guy who figured out how to break that ceiling of how loud and powerful drums could be. Well, he also, I think, I mean, I don't want to speak too much on it, but didn't he play with his sticks turned around too? He always played them backwards. He did, yeah. I actually have, it's crazy, I have one of his drumsticks from the In Utero tour. What? Yeah. So I got to meet Nirvana when I was 16 on the In Utero tour. Was it? Oh, yeah, yeah, you told me that. Yeah, yeah. I would actually show the drumstick on the podcast, but I, uh, it's, it's currently on loan at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is it really? Yeah, but I mean they're closed, so they oh. they might have sold the drumstick for uh for for profit at this point. Well, good for but, them. Yeah, but it's it's on. So, but yeah, you're 100 percent right. He had the stick. I don't even know what kind of drumstick it was. It was the most bizarre stick. It had like this weird plastic coating like midway through the barrel, and he definitely played backwards, and the the, the stick was just shredded. But he, I mean, he would just he would just play as loud as anybody could with. What do you have? Like a 16-inch rack tom and an 18-inch floor and yeah. a 24-inch kick. and Yeah. So this song, uh, the intro of this song, I think, is one of the most powerful songs on the record and maybe one of the most powerful songs during that like grunge time. Also, this song too is a great uh, sound check song too. When you're when you're up there alone, it's also going back to the Cyrus Baluki thing. It's also a great way to work on your bass drum control within a groove. Boop boop tap boom tap boop 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 boop. Tap. I mean, that's four. It's it, it's like ju- I would say if you're a intermediate player, it's probably just at the cusp of like feeling comfortable. It's not unattainable, but having those line up with those that boop 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 with the hi hats and not flaming. And, and that actually, this also goes back to what we were saying about the Eve Six stuff too. That this is a song where 
if I sat down right now to the drum kit and played it, I would play it way faster than it actually is on the record. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a weird thing because it's so powerful and it's just so raw and so much energy behind it. And he's playing like so on the groove. It's so locked. His kick drum and his playing and his kick and his snare and his hat playing is like so on point that like in your head, it's just you play it faster than it should be. Yep. So mm. no, I love I mean, that's that's the thing, too. It's the maturity of a player is knowing what sounds good isn't always what feels the best as a player, you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't know for a fact I could be talking totally out of school here, but I, I wonder if that record was even around during the times of like Pro Tools and stuff. Like, I wonder how much of that, like how much of that song was really like edits and stuff where he just went in. I feel like he's the kind of guy that would just go in and nail it and be like, okay, cool, we're done. Yeah, that would have been 90, 92, probably, because it came out in 93. Um, yeah, 92. Probably would have been... The early, early Pro Tools? Yeah, where they were still like, Recording to tape, then putting that into the DAW. But yeah, it would have been kind of a bastardization of what we know today, for sure. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so my last, my last pick is, uh, it's actually a modern, a modern drummer. This is probably like the newest drummer slash band on my list, is uh, Griff from the band Dawes. Mm. Speaking of Dawes, different kind of Dawes. What a great segue. This guy is probably um, my favorite drummer in rock music right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes back to the same kind of principle that I was talking about earlier with the Stuart Copeland, where it's just the finesse, and it's just that little tiny, tiny nuance of like, he opens the hi-hat the slightest bit, and you're like, oh my god, that's the most powerful thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, live, the guy's a monster. He plays like tons of percussion live with, with, a, with, like, with his left hand playing the groove, right hand playing percussion. And I've never seen a guy transition that so quickly to put down percussion, grab a stick for his right hand, and then just continue to play a groove like nothing happened, to then go right back into it again, grab the percussion, and play. Yeah. So this song's called uh, Roll With The Punches. I just, mm. the feel and the groove of this, he, I think he's like in his like mid-20s, late-20s, but the guy plays like he's, like that he was born in like 1972. Sure. It's just, it's unbelievable, his feel and, like, his attack on the drums and, like, yeah, it's just, he plays like he's he's been around for 40 years. It's insane. He's got a very Jim Gordon feel. I can also see Griff has a little bit of, a, like, a little Steve Gadd in him, too. Oh, sure. For sure. Yeah, which is, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, all on the same line, for sure. The crazy thing about this guy too is he sings live while he's playing that. Yeah. It's like, dude, come on. How do you do that? It's not even human. And it's so funny growing up with punk rock and, you know, Cyrus and Travis and all those guys. I would never think that a song like that that's just there gets it would get me so excited as a 33-year-old man because those are the yeah, it's so good. So good. It's so good. And they uh I would I would also say too that live it's even better, mm-hmm. and I don't even think he even plays with a click live. It's just it's just like, and he's just spot on. It's insane. All right, well that's kind of uh, now you know the kind of players me and Chris are. 
terrible. Terrible player. I mean, dude, I don't know how the hell I have convinced people to pay me to do what I do. Um, all right, well, Chris, I'm gonna stop recording, and uh, have a good have a good one. All right, thanks, man. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at BigFatSnareDrum. The audio you're hearing was edited with Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's magic. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Cheers. <laughs>